the underdog the podcast that follows the tales of compassion and bravery of animal rights activists all over the world my name is hannah grant and i'm the administrative assistant and social outreach director at the animal law firm i will be taking over as a guest host for our lead attorney and founder christina bergson in order to create more content for our lovely viewers as i interviewed these amazing people i was truly inspired by the common theme of hope that they give to underdogs everywhere They taught me that sometimes the greatest power an underdog possesses is never giving up hope. Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Today, we have Josh Hartsfield, our head law clerk here at the Animal Law Firm. Josh is a law student at the University of Denver and has worked at the firm since his first year of law school. His work and research areas include factory farming reform and criminal defense for activists arrested in the course of civil disobedience. I'm excited to have him on our new segment of Fighting for the Underdog, Who Are We at ALF? So thanks for being here, Josh. Yeah, happy to be here. Awesome. Well, we can just dive right in then. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got started in animal law? Yeah, I am a second year law student at the University of Denver. I met Christina, the uh, founder of Animal Law Firm, during my first year of law school. And I, I knew immediately that I wanted to work for her. Before I went to law school, I had been a vegan and uh, animal rights activist, and I knew that I wanted to do something to help animals um, throughout the course of my career. And then when I when I met Christina, I knew that uh I knew that that was what I wanted to do. Awesome. What um made you apply for law school in the first place? Yeah, it was kind of kind of the same. I wanted to help animals. Um, like I said, I'd been vegan for a long time. I'd attended a lot of protests. Um, and law school was kind of a good way that intersect with all my beliefs. You know, I was interested in animal rights, criminal justice reform, prison reform. And going to law school seemed like a good way to get some agency in those areas. Okay, great. So now that you've had some more exposure to animal law and you've been working at the law firm for a while, um, what are you most passionate about in animal law? Yeah, that's a that's a tough question. I mean, the the real goal for all of us in the in the animal movement is, you know, total liberation of animals and, you know, reform of, you know, a lot of our laws that really oppress animals rather than help them. I've been privileged enough throughout my career to work with some awesome groups, including Direct Action Everywhere. Um, Something that we have been working on at Direct Action Everywhere is the right to rescue animals, which is essentially um, a lot of states have laws, you know, that will allow you to say rescue a dog if you see a dog in a hot car and that animal is suffering. And we would like to see that extended to other animals as well. You know, if you see a a farmed animal or, you know, maybe an animal that's being used for research or testing purposes suffering. We like to see, you know, the right to rescue and help any animal that's suffering, not just dogs. Okay, great. Um, Do you have any advice for people wanting to get involved in that and where can they find direct action everywhere? Yeah, they are at, I believe it's directactioneverywhere.com. Yeah, directactioneverywhere.com. You can also look up the right to rescue, and uh, DXC is the first thing that comes up. And there's a lot of really good information there about what we're doing to try to uh, try to achieve the right to rescue and right to help animals. Okay, great. We also have a podcast with them, so people can go check that out as well, which is really nice. Can you explain your current role at the animal law firm? Yeah, my title is head law clerk. 
Um, I pretty much provide general writing and research support for all the attorneys. Um, you know, whatever I can do to help them offload their to-do list. Um, you know, I'd help them draft motions, briefs, do research. Um, and then when we have law clerks and interns, I kind of, you know, serve as a guide and a uh, like manager for them. Although right now we currently, we currently don't have any. So head law clerk, and I'm actually the only law clerk. Yes, hopefully more to come as we keep expanding, which would take some work off your shoulders as well, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, it'll, it'll happen eventually. So what is one thing you wish you had known when you began working in animal law? Yeah, I think big thing I've learned is that you have to actually do the practical work um, to learn and get better. You know, when you go to law school, you can, you know, you read books and you read theory and you read cases and you research. Um, but it is entirely different when you actually start litigating a case and you actually get in a courtroom before a judge. Um, so I guess I wish I had started sooner, actually, um, you know, trying to find a law firm to work for, trying to find attorneys to mentor under, trying to actually get in a courtroom, because it's it's very, very different than just reading about it all day when you when you start doing it. Mm -hmm. Kind of on that note, do you have any advice for others wanting to enter the animal law field and how they can get this experience? Yeah, what I always tell people is just don't be afraid to just be an unashamed animal advocate and to just pursue a career in animal law. Um, I think people hear the term you know, the average person hears the term animal law and doesn't even know what that is. And then law students and lawyers, you know, are like, oh, I, you know, I'd love to help animals. I'd love to help dogs, but I don't see it as a feasible career. But that's not the reality. There's, you know, there's tons of organizations out there that, you know, nonprofit organizations that need good lawyers. There's tons of law firms now that are starting, you know, animal litigation segments of their practice. And then there's also places like ALF, you know, that, you know, we always need lawyers, law students, animal advocates to help us with our work. So, you know, people, people always seem to be scared, you know, and they say, oh, you know, maybe I can do it on the side or maybe in 10 years when it's more mainstream, I'll help animals. Um, but the reality is the opportunities are there. And, you know, we, we need passionate people who care about animals and want to, you know, want to help make the world a better place for animals. So my best advice is always just just to do it. Don't be afraid. Absolutely. For people who are unfamiliar, how would you define animal law to someone? Yeah, that's that's a tough one. Um, really, it's any type of law where you're advocating for an animal. So, you know, it's it's not just, you know, dog bite cases where you're trying to stop a dog from being euthanized or if you're negotiating a contract for, you know, an animal trainer, um, you know, I've met people who are constitutional lawyers and they work to stop um, ag gag laws, you know, is to me, that's animal law. I've met a lot of people who are criminal defense attorneys and they work to get people cleared of charges who are arrested, you know, for protesting, holding signs or, you know, doing undercover investigations of factory farms, you know, that's animal law. Any, Anytime you're doing anything to advocate for an animal within the legal system, um, I, I consider that animal law. Okay, great. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, kind of without giving too much information away, could you explain um, some cases that have impacted you and kind of sparked your interest in animal law that we've worked with? Yeah, um, unfortunately, a lot of those cases um, end up being kind of the sadder ones that... You know, that kind of, 
you know, remind me why I'm doing what I'm doing and, you know, that we need reform and we need passionate people to help. Um, we had a case not too long ago um, that actually resulted in a dog, unfortunately, being euthanized. And in this case, this family had, uh, they had adopted their dog around the same time they had had their first daughter. Um, and the daughter was, I believe, six or seven. So, you know, this had been their beloved family pet that grew up, you know, that grew up with their children, all their friends loved, um, you know, had never showed any signs of aggression. And then one day, um, the dog unfortunately escaped their fence through no fault of their own. Um, and the dog, you know, got out and attacked another dog in a park, you know, which and and that's something that could happen to anyone, you know, even an unaggressive dog, you know, gets out and it's all alone for the first time without its owners. It's scared. Um, and the per unfortunately, the person ended up having to get their beloved dog euthanized. And whenever we have cases like that, it it reminds me why we do what we do and that the law, you know, the law is not set up to help animals. It's more set up to oppress them and to. Um, you know, to protect people against animals rather than to protect animals against people, which is what we need. Um, so unfortunately, it's a lot of the times the sad cases that um, <laughs> that re that remind me why I do what I do and kind of kind of keep me going. Yeah, absolutely. That that makes sense, though. It's it's those are it's the reason you got into it in the first place. So, right. Super impactful. How would you hope that things change in the future for a case like that? Um, I'd like to see. So if we're talking if we're talking about dog bite and dog euthanasia euthanasia cases, um, right now most states essentially their you know their solution to those is eye for an eye. You know, a dog attacks a dog, and then their solution is to kill that dog. Um, there's there's plenty of areas of reform. Um, you know, for example, the state could have a place for, you know, a system for aggressive dogs to go to, you know, foster families, shelters, that kind of thing. There's plenty of people and organizations that are willing to take dogs like that and work with them and help them. Um, but the state doesn't really give them any leeway to do so. They just order euthanasia. Um, we could also expand it into two or three bite rules, which some states have. So right now, you know, in, in Colorado, for example, if a dog bites anyone at all, there's room for the judge to order it to be euthanized. Um, and I'd like to see, you know, I'd like to see no euthanasia at all. But if we could have anything, you know, maybe second or third offense, then we could start talking about that, that sort of punishment. But, you know, if your dog just bites someone one time, gets out one time and does something, I, you know, I don't think there should be room for that dog, you know, to be killed, because it's, it's essentially eye for an eye, um, eye for an eye punishment. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, hopefully we can help to start making some of those changes or at least supporting those causes, which would be really nice. So what do you think is the best way for people to support the animal law firm in their mission? Yeah, one of the that's funny that people always ask me that question. One of the best things you can do to support your local animal attorneys is just be a responsible pet owner. Um, you know, keep, keep your dog on a leash, follow your local dog laws. Um, and if you, a, a lot of things we see can be avoided by people being more responsible pet owners. Um, you can also, you can also follow us on social, um, social media at the animal law firm. Um, and there's, and I know, I know you, Hannah always post ways that, you know, people can get involved and help out. <laughs> awesome. Thank you for that. Um, yeah, I think that's all great advice. I think our website, too, also has a lot of really good information, honestly, um, especially from Christina herself. Um, 
So yeah, I think that's all really great information. Well, why don't we go ahead and take a little break here and we will come back and talk some more. Great. Hi, everybody. We're back with Josh Hartsfield, our head law clerk here at the Animal Law Firm, and we're going to keep talking about his experience working with us. So what has been the most rewarding part of your work so far? Yeah, I find um, just about every day working at ALF and um, in law school and all the volunteering I do to be rewarding. Um, Something that's really interesting recently is the Animal Law Firm and Direct Action Everywhere have kind of joined in on this case that has to do with Asha's Farm Sanctuary in New York. Um, This is a case where Tracy Murphy, who owns a animal sanctuary in upstate New York, had a couple um, beef cows from a farm roam onto her property. Um, And she provided them sanctuary, provided them shelter, provided them water. And she actually made a good faith effort to um, to try to find the owner of these cows. Um, And it it took some time and it ended up with the police actually came to her sanctuary and seized the cows and slapped her with a bunch of criminal charges for for keeping these cows. And so direct action everywhere is providing criminal defense for Tracy. And then the animal law firm, Christina, is actually pursuing a civil claim against um, the purported owner of these cows to kind of find the whereabouts of the cows, see if we can provide them further sanctuary and shelter, and kind of generally figure out what's going on in this case. Mm-hmm. Okay, awesome. What is your kind of role in this, and what are, are you helping both uh, the animal law firm and DXC with in this case? Yeah, with with direct action everywhere I've been help I've just been helping a bit with the criminal defense side of things. Um we've kind of been doing research into you know are these charges against Tracy actually, you know, legally feasible, which which they aren't. Um and we've been trying and we're getting we're getting ready for her criminal trial which is supposed to be this summer. And then the animal law firm side of things just started. Um, so Christina drafted a demand letter and we're drafting a complaint to the other party in this case. And I've just been helping her with kind of the research and causes of action for that. Okay. Awesome. And how can people follow this case and keep up with, um, what's happening over the summer? Yeah. If you look up Asha's Farm Sanctuary, that's A-S-H-A-S Farm Sanctuary News. Yeah. A USA Today article and some other articles come up that kind of give an overview of the case of what's going on. Okay, great. Um, How do you think that this case will impact future animal law? Yeah, that's a great, that's, that's the big question that's always in our minds when we're doing cases like this. Um, It, it goes back to the right to rescue that we were talking about earlier, because that's that's really what Tracy did. She provided shelter and aid to these animals that were suffering, and she's now facing criminal charges for it. So hopefully an, an acquittal in this case, or you know, if, if it's a conviction and we get reversed on appeal, could hopefully bring about some legal precedent that says, you know, animals have the same rights to food, shelter, water, and safety that humans have, and the people that provide that that safety to animals, you know, shouldn't be charged as criminals. Hmm. Well, obviously, there's a lot of controversy around this case and similar cases, um, just based on misinformation. So what is one common misunderstanding about your, the organization, or the animal law industry in general? Yeah, I'd say with the animal law firm, a common misunderstanding we see is that we only work with dogs. I think a lot of people think animal law, and they just think dogs. Um, but it's it's much, much broader than that. 
you know, we see cases involving cows, sheep, reptiles, you know, any, any type of companion or farmed animal. Um, and that, that's one misunderstanding. I think another big one is partic particularly with dogs, people tend to think that, you know, the law is set up to protect dogs. You know, that's, that's kind of intuitive, you know, everybody loves dogs, you know, everybody, if not, has, you know, has a dog, has had one or been around them at some point. And we think, sh you know, surely the system is set up to advocate and help dogs. But the reality is much different. Um, the reality is a lot of these laws are actually set up, you know, to oppress and, you know, to ultimately, you know, end up in the euthanasia of dogs and, you know, and other animals as well. So I think, I think it's important for people to know that there's a lot of advocacy and reform to be done within animal law, even in areas, you know, as you know, with dogs, cats, you know, man, you know, man's best friend where you would think it's set up to help them, but the, the reality is much different. Mm -hmm, absolutely. How do you go about a case differently when you're working with livestock versus with like dogs and cats? Yeah, it's even harder with livestock. Um, most states have what are called agricultural exceptions. So, for example, we, you know, every state has a cruelty to animal statute that says you can't, you know, you, you can't, you know, cause harm, can't injure an animal. But there's generally exceptions in each state for agricultural animals. So, you know, a practice that isn't acceptable to do towards a dog, you know, might be acceptable to do towards a cow, sheep, pig, bird. Um, so the it's much more challenging when you're working with farmed animals. Um, mm -hmm. you have, you have to kind of dig deeper into the case law, into the statutes, into the available, you know, research and writings in the area to be able to do effective advocacy. Um, but it's, it's not impossible, you know, and the world's changing. Luckily, you know, there's much more research out there that says, you know, these animals, you know, such as farmed animals, fish, birds that, you know, there's misconceptions that, you know, they don't you know, feel pain, they don't form complex emotions, complex relationships, you know, people are kind of, it's becoming much more um, widely available research that says that's not true. And that in a lot of ways, you know, these animals that we haven't thought much of for most of human history are actually, you know, they're, you know, they're just like us and they're just like dogs, you know, they build complex relationships, they, you know, feel, they think. And so luckily um, things are getting better. And it's, it's becoming, it's becoming easier and easier to do advocacy within those spaces as people get more educated. Absolutely. Kind of, this is sort of a tangent, but uh, we, we mentioned in the intro that um, you're vegan. Can you explain how you, kind of your journey becoming vegan and how others can follow that? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. So I grew up in small town, Arkansas. I grew up in a town called Hot Springs. And the main industry in Hot Springs is horse racing. Um, we have a horse racing track. And one of my first jobs when I was oh, 17, 18 was actually shuffling horse stalls and hot walking horses and generally helping with the local racehorses. Um, so that kind of planted the seeds in my mind of animal of animal welfare and kind of the injustices we do to animals. Um, for example, some people may not know this, but like if a, if a racehorse breaks its leg, a lot of the times it's just euthanized because it's not financially feasible to rehabilitate the horse. Um, so I kind of saw a lot of the injustices going on with animals. Uh, combined with that, 
I was a long distance runner and I uh, was inspired by one of one of the world's greatest ultra runners. His name's Scott Jurek and he was vegan. So I went vegetarian in 2016. Um, I would have been, I think, 19 years old. Um, and over the next year and a half, I kind of transitioned into veganism. And, you know, as I as I kind of went down the rabbit hole, learning more and more about factory farming, um, the health benefits of not eating meat or dairy, as well as the environmental impacts that the animal agricultural I industry has on the planet. Um, I got more and more into it and kind of got to a point where I knew there was no going back. And for anybody who's interested in becoming vegan, um, there's so many great resources out there right now. I always highly recommend people a lot of documentaries on Netflix. Um, some great ones are Forks Over Knives, which talks about the health benefits of being vegan. And then there's also Seaspiracy and Cowspiracy, which talk about kind of the dangers of the cattle industry and the fishing industry um, for the animals as well as for the planet. Um, there's, yeah, there's so many great resources out there now for anybody who wants to become vegan. Okay, well, kind of refocusing on just the animal law firm and your career there, what is the most important lesson that your work has taught you so far? Yeah, the most important lesson I've learned probably is that there's a lot of work to be done and there's a lot of misunderstandings. Um, I could talk all day of kind of how the law is used to oppress animals and to kind of protect the interests that oppress animals rather than to actually help animals. Like I talked about earlier, even with dogs. So I, I think a big lesson is that there's there's a lot of work to be done and we need really we need really effective animal advocates, lawyers, activists, you know, people like you, Hannah, that, you know, do social media and are great communicators in the field to to help animals. I think Another lesson that I'm kind of still learning is that the misunderstandings about laws surrounding animals permeates very deep. Um, for example, we even see judges and other lawyers that have just complete misunderstandings around service animal laws. Um, we had a case recently that we had to kind of argue with the judge because the judge was convinced in order to have a service dog, you the dog has to be professionally trained, which is not the case. Particularly in Colorado, um, service dogs can be self-trained. A lot of you know a lot of people with disabilities can't afford, you know, the several thousand, even tens of thousands of dollars it takes to train a service animal and opt to train their own. And it's important for people to be educated on that fact. And I guess le lesson takeaway is the misunderstandings permeate even to you know judges and people you think that are you know effective advocates for the law mm -hmm. absolutely I mean that's where it's amazing where your role comes in and you can kind of explain that that's the way things are and kind of misspell those misunderstandings yeah that's one of the one of the perks of the job well, kind of on a cheesy note, I always like to ask this question just to to see what advice people have, but what is your best tip for making the world a better place? I always tell people, um, always choose compassion. Um, that's what we're all doing. That's, you know, that's the ultimate goal of the animal law firm, of direct action everywhere, of all these animal advocacy groups. Um, we all want to make the world a more compassionate place. And, you know, you don't have to work with animals or in animal law to do that. You know, you can you can choose compassion with your fellow humans, with, you know, people you meet on the street, animals, you know, animals you meet on the street or in the wild, um, you know, just just always choose compassion for those around you. 
Absolutely. I think that's great advice. We sure would have a lot less cases if that, if everyone was following that advice. So. Yeah, that's, that's kind of what I always tell people. I'm like, if you, if, if, <laughs> if ever, if everyone treated the people around them and the animals around them with respect and compassion, we, uh, I think we'd all, we'd all be out of a job. Mm -hmm. That's the dream. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, kind of wrapping up a bit, what are the biggest things you're looking forward to in the future and in your career? Yeah, I uh so at the University of Denver actually we recently started a new program called the Denver Animal Activist Legal Defense Project and we actually have a student clinic funded through the law school um that works on animal activist defense cases. Um and I've been very very privileged to be a part of it. Um, and I get to continue to be a part of it this summer and this coming school year. Um, some of the things the clinic's doing, for example, are defending the Atlanta forest protesters, which is which is all over the news right now. These are protesters who um, did like a sit-in in a forest to stop a local forest in Atlanta from being destroyed to build a cop training facility. And a lot of the people involved in these nonviolent protests um, have been charged with terrorism for their role in it. And so the clinic is helping provide services to them. We're also providing defense, like I admit, um, we're also helping with the Asha's Farm Sanctuary case in New York that I mentioned, and a lot of the direct action everywhere, right to rescue cases. Um, we actually, um, one of our professors, Chris Carraway, was just a um, defense attorney for a case in California involving two animal rights activists that saved two sick and dying chickens off of a truck in California. Um, and they both got charged with theft and burglary. And um, Professor Carraway, along with a lot of the students, actually worked to get the two defendants acquitted in that case. Um, and so I'm really, really looking forward to just seeing the clinic expand, seeing more students get involved. And we're we're all hoping that we end up getting some really cool Colorado cases and can kind of provide legal support so that activists in Colorado, you know, can feel like they can do effective advocacy and not be worried about, you know, being convicted as terrorists or being charged with burglary, you know, and knowing that they have really effective legal, legal advocacy behind them. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to, you know, seeing where the clinic goes and doing more work with them. Absolutely. Well, that's super exciting. And I, I can't wait to see that all the work that, that gets done through that. So, so that's great. Um, well, what is the best way for our listeners to support you and to support the animal law firm? Yeah, I don't do a lot of social media myself, but I, I mentioned earlier, you can follow the Animal Law Firm. On, um, you can go to our website, and they're, they're also on Instagram and Twitter. Um, you can also follow Direct Action Everywhere, and then um, go to directactionevywhere.com. You can also go to righttorescue.com or just Google Right to Rescue, and there's a really good layout of you know, what I've been talking about with all these great cases that are kind of at the intersection of direct action everywhere, the animal law firm and the University of Denver, where we're working to make sure that people provide aid and help to animals, um, you know, have resources to protect them rather than charge them with crimes. Um, those are those are probably the best ways to support me. Well, thank you so much for, for joining me today. It's so nice to like get to talk to someone that, that I work with, but we don't normally get to have a longer conversation. So it's been so nice. Yeah, thank you, Hannah. Thanks for having me on. Of course. That was such an inspiring interview. I learned so much and I hope you did too. 
If you were moved as much as I was and want to support this amazing organization, please visit our website at theanimallawfirm.com and check out our merch page as all profits from merchandise go towards supporting the guests on the show. Or follow the links to donate to this organization directly. If you want to support the podcast, please share us on social media and give us a five-star review. Anything helps. Thanks again for tuning in. Until next time, fellow underdogs.